0: Welcome to Energy 360, the podcast from the Energy and National Security Program at CSIS. I'm your host, Lisa Hyland. India had elections back in May, with Prime Minister Modi winning a second term with a clear majority. His first term had seen a number of energy reforms, especially in the electric power sector. To see what we might expect in the Modi second term, my colleague Kartikeye Singh caught up with Ranjit Barvakar. Ranjit is director of the India program at the Regulatory Assistance Project, or RAP. In addition to possible reforms from the Modi's second term, they also talked about what is happening at the state level in India with regards to the power sector. Many Indian states are proving to be real leaders in advancing a cleaner electricity agenda. and Rajit talked in late June. Since then, India has released a new budget, and it includes initiatives on electric vehicles, energy access and reliability, and other reforms that could have a real impact on the power sector. Here's Kartikey and Ranjit.
1: It is an, an important time in India's political landscape. Um, the elections in India are over. Prime Minister Modi has won with an overwhelming majority, beating uh, many political pundits' predictions in terms of how many seats uh, the BJP would win. And there, are, there were a lot of energy-related reforms and initiatives under his first term. And uh, now that he's come back into power with an overwhelming uh, mandate for a second term, what do you think a second term mandate really means broadly for, for India's energy landscape?
2: Uh, I think the mandate is really now about taking those uh, energy sector reforms, energy sector initiatives to their logical end. And that that target is 24-7 supply for every single Indian citizen. The government has announced that two years before the election, and they have made a lot of progress in that direction. However, to achieve that, they will have to solve multiple problems on which there hasn't been much progress made. 24-7 supply, in India, the, the concern was never about technology or resources. Mm-hmm. The concern has always been a financial concern that we are unable to bring in sufficient funds into the power system to cover the costs uh, that will be incurred for meeting the 24-7 target. This is partly a problem of of the economic uh, development situation in India. The vast majority of Indian consumers are so, so poor that they won't be able to afford to pay the full cost of electricity. So that gap between costs incurred and the revenue that is being realized has to be made up by something. Typically, it has been made up by government infusions in the form of subventions or subsidies of different kinds. However, those subsidies are also competing with government expenditures in many other sectors, such as education, such as health, such as other kinds of infrastructure. So the government has to figure out how it can achieve the target, which is the right target. They need to achieve that, yet keep the cost of achieving that target as low as possible.
1: Yeah, and it's interesting. You know, just today the finance minister held uh, a stakeholder consultation in advance of uh, the second budget, uh, or the first budget of this Mm -hmm. administration uh, to be released. And it was an interesting group of individuals uh, and stakeholders in the room. It really focused a lot on climate change and uh, renewable energy, which uh, I think, you know, it's it's interesting. I'll I'll be really curious to see how they devise uh, a budget given that you've said that the primary concern has really been about finance uh, in the power sector. What this first budget really holds in terms of trying to meet the gaps and uh, the funding priorities for this um, very important infrastructure.
2: I I think, I haven't seen the, the consultation, and I mean, I've been aware of the consultations the finance minister has been holding in the preparation of the budget. So I would love to know what they were discussing today. It seems It's good that they're talking about these issues because I think they connect directly with the overall economic growth trajectory for India. A purely coal-based economic trajectory is unlikely to be conducive for the health of Indian citizens. So uh, they will have to take that into account. Uh, but how they want to go about supporting renewables-based growth I think it's going to be interesting. One of the areas I think they can focus their attention on or many of their policies on is to, to optimize the, the power system as much as possible, to try and minimize the cost, try and cut out the fat as much as possible. and And here they really need to focus the financial incentives in a way that ensures that we are using the most efficient technology as possible. When I say efficient, people immediately start thinking, uh, you know, oh, yes, um, LEDs or, you know, fans or TVs or this or that, that is more efficient. But India also needs to make sure that it's using the most efficient generators in the country. If for whatever reasons, whatever distortions in the way current currently the grid is optimized or being uh, operated or designed, we are not using the most efficient generation, then that means there is some fat in the system that can be cut. We can also try to see if we can minimize the cost in other ways. For example, can we minimize the cost of transporting fuel by locating or using more of the power plants that are located close to the fuel source? So here I'm referring to coal generation, for example. Bit plants, which might be the newer ones, that makes them more efficient should be used as much as possible as opposed to power plants that are older and located further away from the coal. That can get us some cost savings. The government can incentivize generation of electricity as close to the consumption of electricity. And and here the obvious technology that that people talk about is rooftop TV. How can we make sure that we can incentivize that? And and the, the, the reasoning is obvious that you reduce the the transmission and distribution losses for moving electricity from long distances over high transmission lines to the point of consumption. But more importantly, given the pressure, the cost pressure the Indian power system is facing, there might be many upgrades of the distribution or the transmission level grid that can be avoided Mm -hmm. if we are generating energy right where we are consuming it. So, All in all, if the financial, the budget or the financial uh, policies are designed in a way that try to get this cost minimization done, I think uh, we'll be better off. It needs to be a factor in it. It can't be just that we are the finance ministry and we will support all of the above. They have to be much more strategic about cutting the fat out of the system.
1: Well, let me me ask uh, kind of a related and very important question. So, I mean, if you were to have a bucket list, um, you know, of the most important energy reforms that the central government needs to undertake to, to power economic and job growth. What would be on that list? And you've started to hint at it a little bit. Co-location of generation and consumption, and uh, there, there are obviously mm-hmm. background reforms that sort of feed into this, optimizing power use, uh, and some very important, mm-hmm. uh, um, you know, upcoming uh, major reforms. Hopefully, that I know that you're you're, you're tracking. So I'd love to hear, mm-hmm. you know, what uh, what what's on your bucket list. <laughs> yes.
2: Yeah. I think one of the the major thought leadership uh, that the government of India, especially the Central Electricity Regulatory Commission, has been showing is in the realm of reforming the way we are operating the grid itself. The central regulator has proposed creation of uh, electricity markets uh, at a national level with the explicit objective of making sure that we are using the cheapest, most efficient technology more and using the least efficient technology less those reforms need to be discussed with states they need to be brought on board these reforms and they need to participate in implementing these market structures as quickly as possible i feel that that could be one of the signature policies that the government the new government can take on and and this is nothing new that the government uh, from the government's philosophical perspective the uh, the focus on the goods and services tax for example was about creating one unified national tax framework for the country. The idea was to make the national marketplace unified rather than having these siloed marketplaces with state and within city boundaries, to move away from that and try and get to a national marketplace so goods can flow, services can flow across the country more easily. This power market reform is identical to that. It can truly unlock uh, efficiencies in the supply side of the system. In parallel, uh, as I mentioned earlier, I think the government needs to focus on making sure that we're generating as much electricity as possible as close to consumption. And that means supporting rooftop PV, which is the cheapest technology to do that right now. Uh, Earlier, we used to use diesel generation, but that's much more expensive. and, And, of course, it's much more polluting. But try and figure out how we can maximize solar generation on the rooftops within the cities where the energy is being consumed. What kind of policies will support that? That needs to be the second big policy. And and this can be seen, again, from the government's philosophical perspective, is that they want to empower citizens. So the approach they have taken towards many of their policies, whether it's the the Ujwala scheme, or the direct benefit transfer scheme, uh, or the Jan Dhan Yojana, getting people enrolled into bank accounts and so forth, is that they want to empower citizens to take charge of of many of the services and and making their own decisions. This falls exactly in that law. They can definitely talk about this. That well, we are we want to help you guys become independent resilient and you don't have to uh, rely on the the favors and the wins of the government providing you with the electrical services. So to me, those two things could be the sort of the signature campaigns that the government could run over the course of the next five years.
1: Yeah, and both would have quite a transformative impact on India's uh, power sector in particular. Um, and, and let's let me ask you to to unpack a little bit what the process and the timeline for something like creating you know an electricity a centralized electricity market looks like. For most of most people don't know uh, you know kind of how the sausage is made, if you will. Such reforms are suggested, uh, or such large scale initiatives that would really overhaul the system. Uh, what that looks like. So can you just briefly talk about what the next steps might be? I mean I know that some of the discussion papers that the Central Electricity regulatory authority, released um, prior to the election, since late last year, were up for mm-hmm. comment, um, you know, when we're when waiting for elections, there's supposed to be pilots. Can you talk us a little bit through what you think this might look like in terms of timeline and process? Sure. So uh, there are, I, I would say there are four areas
2: in which uh, work needs to happen for these reforms to get implemented successfully. The first one is we need to get the appropriate technology in place so that people can participate in a month. And and by technology, I'm talking about hardware, software, communications, and control systems at the system operator level, at the level of the grids, the substations, and at the level of the generators. Our current technical infrastructure is quite poor, at least in some parts of the country. It all needs to be brought up to date. It needs to be standardized. It needs to be tested so that people can participate in the market effectively. So that's number one. Number two is making sure that market participants, whether it is generators or the buyers and the buyers of the distribution utilities in India primarily, they are aware and understand fully the fundamental concepts underlying a market operation, mm. that they are able to understand how do I come up with a buy bid or a sell bid? How do I look at my current portfolio and see if I can optimize it together with what I'm doing in the marketplace? All those kinds of capacity-building exercises need to happen to make sure that the staff who is supposed to do these things day in, day out, have all the necessary knowledge and awareness. The third thing is the quality of planning tools that our distribution utilities, our generation companies, our investors have today is is kind of all over the place. We don't have a Solid suite of tools that allows people to optimize, do risk management, do those kinds of uh, that kind of number crunching on a day-to-day basis. So that that capability needs to be deployed across the world so that people are able to do this kind of analysis. Care. And and the last part I think is a little bit uh, on in the realm of just simply raising the awareness of how this can bring value to citizens in general. So markets is not necessarily. A word that uh, evokes uh, good thoughts in the minds of people. People look at markets as, you know, private players coming in, swooping in, making boatloads of money, lots of profits, and the poor people getting adversely affected by it. So there needs to be a fair level of, I think, uh, consumer education that needs to be hap- uh, that needs to happen to make sure that people understand how a market functions, how it delivers value. There needs to be a fair bit of trust building that needs to happen. The regulators need to make sure that they have good, solid market monitoring operation in place to make sure that nobody is gaming the market or manipulating the market. There needs to be a fairly good-sized community of experts that works on these issues. No markets are perfect. There will always be places where they fail or they get distorted. So this this brain trust needs to be cultivated, which can constantly tweak and make sure that we're getting the right outcome. So these these are the things that will need to happen in parallel to the regulatory process that's going on with the, uh, within the Central
1: Regulatory Commission.
2: We, we have limited capacity to deliver this, so we, we will need all the help we can get from wherever in the world we can get.
1: Well, so then, let me just ask, so that my follow-up question then really is, is what kinds of partners uh, can be helpful for this. I mean, obviously, you've laid out what needs what, what the needs are. It looks like there's a range of sort of commercial uh, stakeholders, uh, you know, private sector that need to get involved that are developing software and hardware, uh, those in the capacity mm-hmm. space. Are there others that you'd specifically point out? Uh, absolutely. Industry and the commerce, obviously, they will be the ones who will have to develop and deploy
2: the technology. So they they definitely need to partner that. Uh, we have some uh, many of the technology companies that provide these kinds of products all over the world also have operations in India. Maybe those operations need to be now providing those same services in the Indian context, which they may not have been providing in the past. so that's that's a, a relatively easy one. I think the tougher one is probably getting the expertise to come and work with the folks in India as they start making this transition. So academics, I think need to talk. I mean, foreign academics need to talk with Indian yeah. academics and, say, and, and convey to them that you know there's a wealth of experience that we have on creating markets and treating them over the last 20, 30 years in other parts of the world. We would be happy to share that with you, and we would love to brainstorm with you in finding out what's the right model for India looks like. We need to have practitioners, you know, such as market operators, system operators, or uh, consumer advocates who have worked in other parts of the world, who are well aware of markets and where things can go wrong, these people also need to work with their peers in India and make sure that we're not reinventing the wheel. Wherever possible, we are quickly learning from the mistakes that other people have made and not replicate them. So that peer-to-peer interaction at various levels within academia, within the expert community, within specific institutions I think that needs to happen as quickly as possible.
1: Now let's let's switch gears um, back to something that you alluded to uh, a little bit ago, which is the sort of center versus state. So any everybody anybody who understands uh, how India works uh, knows that. States hold considerable authority over a range of uh, sectors that impact people's everyday lives, and that certainly includes the power sector um, through regulation and management of the power infrastructure. States uh, the world over, particularly you know here in the U.S. as well as in India, can serve as, as laboratories of innovation when it comes to policy experimentation and design. Um, now, looking ahead, um, and obviously many states are going to be going through election cycles over the next five years, but let's just say for in the next five years, um, if we were to look at the, the state's landscape in India, which states should we be watching who might be really kind of forward-leaning in, in managing uh, this emergent energy transition that the country is starting to grapple with?
2: I think it's the usual large states. I think that one thinks of uh, when we start talking about power sector in India. So uh, that would be Gujarat, that would be Maharashtra, that would be Karnataka, Tamil Nadu, Andhra Pradesh. Uh, These are the states that are already working on a whole host of ideas to try and implement within state boundaries. And they're also the ones that are most vocal in terms of interacting with the central regulators or the central government. So I, I think these are the states um, that will be making the first moves. Whether conducive, the right direction, or not, these are the states to watch. Uh, but there are some other states, I think, that will need to play a very, very crucial role. There are some signs that people are starting to focus on that. So states like Uttar Pradesh, or Punjab, or Haryana, or West Bengal, or Bihar. These are large states in terms of demographics and in terms of their political power. Uh, but traditionally, they have languished at the bottom of innovation when it comes to the power system. In fact, their power systems have always been, in some ways, the, uh, the problem child. Low levels of electrification or poor quality of the grid, very high losses. But these states are starting to get attention from uh, from experts in the field. and And I feel that we might see some some dark horses, I guess, in in, in this second cohort, uh, states like Bihar have already started doing some kind of innovation in terms of how they manage their power supply, and and the results are quite promising. So it might be worth keeping an eye on the second cohort also.
1: Yeah, and I guess one of the the things that we've seen over the over the previous five years, uh, especially as we've seen a rise of sort of cooperative and competitive. Uh, federalism approach to governance in India is a lot of these states are sort of jockeying for investments, right? You see the Bengal Business exactly Summit, the Advantage mm-hmm. Assam, all of these different ways to bring the global community and mm-hmm. in to invest in key sectors. And, and Uttar Pradesh has really uh, has come up as well. Um, and Bihar, I think, just this last week announced and set a timeline for uh, installing smart meters across the state. So you're right. I think
2: exactly. it, it
1: would be really mm-hmm. interesting to see how some of these uh, heavyweight, sort of electorally speaking, states in, in northern India um, manage mm-hmm. this transition as well. Now, let's, yeah. let's I want to ask you a little bit about um, obviously, because RAP is trying to, is at the forefront of kind of working on. Um, you know the energy transition and, and utilities all of this sort of leads to climate change and greenhouse gas emissions and the impact in that space. Um, so as you know India's position in the climate negotiations um, has softened uh, since the day uh, it introduced the term common but differentiated responsibility for, for mitigating climate change you know whose fault is it And the mm-hmm. government in its first term set some really bold renewable energy targets and, and other commitments as part of its nationally determined contributions. Um, towards the Paris Accord. Do you think anything is likely to change with this renewed mandate? Or I guess, and maybe you've alluded to it a little bit, but you know, what threatens uh, India's ability to meet its NDCs, particularly as it comes to um, the renewable energy side of um, its power mix?
2: The climate, I think this has been a very interesting situation for India. And, and I'm, I'm not sure um, the, in the minds of people uh, the paradigm shift has truly registered. Uh, so, most of the time, India's position on climate change and its responsibility in it was driven by cost concerns. Um, the 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 need for cheap electricity to support rapid economic development was front and center as their as the main motivation for their position. Coal was the cheapest source of electricity, hence the India's stance at the at the at the international discussion. In the last two years, coal is no longer the cheapest source of electricity. It's renewables. So it was not very surprising for the Indian government to soften its stance on climate because they saw a path forward with a clean future that was also low cost future, that was also low cost future. And in some ways I feel going forward, climate as a motivator for the energy transition would become even less salient as cheaper and cheaper renewable energy becomes more and more attractive to buyers in the country. It's a very very cost sensitive country. Most of the states are in big deficits. nobody wants to spend too much money on energy if they can avoid that. So they are looking at renewable energy as a way to save money and to redirect the subsidies to other parts of the, uh, the economic development strategy. So, I feel that India, in all likelihood, will exceed its NDCs. Uh, I don't see any uh, economic barrier for India to do that, nor any political barrier to do that. But there are a few barriers which arise from the nature of renewable electricity that might hold things back. Uh, one is, if India is not able to integrate renewable energy well into the grid effectively, then that can create an artificial constraint on Having as much solar as we can get getting installed, so there, these market reforms can actually play a crucial role there also. But the second issue that might slow down, I would say, the transition, I think, goes back to the first point that I made earlier. It's really about money. If the system cannot bring in more money to make any kind of investment, then all investments will, in 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 some respect, stop. It may not build coal plants, but it may not have money to build new renewable plants either until we are able to fix the situation. So I feel that that is an indirect constraint, but that affects almost all the infrastructure in India, whether it's power sector, whether it's roads, whether it's railways, whether it's uh, you know telecommunications. We, we need to be able to find a way to kickstart economic growth having it between 5 to 10%, and there's a lot of debate about what the exact GDP growth numbers are, but India definitely needs to be above 10% for in a sustained period of time. So how, how does India, the government, direct its investments to make that growth happen, which will allow more money to come into the power sector, and which will invariably, I think, go towards renewables, because they are the cheapest option.
1: Right. No, I mean, the landscape has shifted quite dramatically, as you said, in the last two years. And mm-hmm. um, probably no surprise then when you see this sort of emergent opportunity just happens to dovetail nicely with, you know, a global uh, crisis that's, uh, you know, exactly from, yeah. uh, from greenhouse gas emissions. So it's it's going to be mm-hmm. and it continues to be an important time to watch, uh, you know, India as a, as a laboratory for managing and navigating, mm-hmm. this, uh, you know, energy transition. And, and I'm excited to, you know, see how the, the power market reforms play out, and of course, the crucial work that the RAP does in, in informing that. Um, so thank you so much um, for your time today, and we'll look forward to, to sharing with our, our audience uh, you know, more of what what happens in the Indian power market. Thank you.
0: Thank you for
2: having me over. This, is, this
0: has been very great. And thanks to Karthike for hosting this week's episode. Want to hear more Energy 360? You can find us on CSIS.org, on iTunes, or on Twitter at CSIS Energy.